Welcome back once again to Off Record On Points, the workplace culture podcast with that all-important twist. I'm CEO and founder of the Digital Voice, Julia Linehan. And I'm Casey Long. Remember to check out the description for our usual list of resources to keep the conversation going. Today, we're joined by ESB Connect's wonderful Susanna Chaplin. Here's a sneak peek at what's in store. I think we all focus on the bad things, but actually, like, can they make us um, more environmentally aware? Like, can they improve logistics so that we're not, you know, using so much fuel? But it is the unsung hero, and you're not wrong that it could be the superhero. What's that? What's going to be the tipping point that gets it from there to there? When is it good, and how do you use it? well how do you use it for good not evil <laughs> you're definitely still putting me into a sequence i'm definitely still automated or it's just the address i had an email in my inbox this morning from lionel messi i said oh my gosh it's messy emailing me he's doing <laughs> seo backlinks though so i don't know what that's about <laughs> it's his new career don't make enough money in football today we're talking about the big bad scary world of ai or is it what do you really think about AI, Julia? Do you know what? Well, I can't wait to hear what Suze has to say. For me, AI has has so many benefits. Uh, a lot of people, though, are, are jumping in with completely the wrong approach to it. At the end of the day, humans power AI. We can frame it, shape it, grow it as we choose to. And it's a lot about what you put in is what it then bring, delivers out. I'm also, I'm always watching and going, you can spot AI a mile off because it's so vanilla. And, and I think that's an important part that you can still, AI is never going to have that heart, that true belief, that inner, inner uh, authenticity that we see from a true human reaction. So it's there not to necessarily be feared, but I certainly think it's down to us to control. That's just my take. But realistically, who cares what I think? It's much more about what I guess Sue's thinks about this and Suze I'm absolutely delighted to have you here firstly how are you Welcome, doing? Welcome Suze. Not too bad I'm super excited to be on this especially speaking about data and AI. Two of I know topics that are close to your heart and that you're brilliant at which is why you're on this one. I want to start first and I'd love to frame it really or for you to frame it with your backstory to the, to the journey to, to being the founder of ESB Connect. Tell us more. So ESB Connect um, does email, well, does email, sorry, um, <laughs> utilizes email for customer acquisition. I like it. ESB Connect does email. Full yeah. stop. That's Full it. stop. That's <laughs> all we do. That's it. Better than saying ESB Connect does spam, which we certainly don't do, but it's definitely that when you say you're an email. <laughs> I never thought I would be an email. If you said, what are you going to be when you grow up in email or even in the advertising space? Very much down a different route was going into legal and um, coming into the ad tech and advertising space was a stopgap before going traveling. And then literally loved the industry. I loved working with lots of different brands. Um, just found it like fascinating, like how marketing can change people's opinions and products and brands etc um so I was always my background was in the affiliate space working performance um and that drove me into what is now ESB Connect I think um looking at everything being performance based I was really keen to make sure you're always delivering well for a brand that they were getting their value from any kind of advertising they were doing um and I always thought 
email was a bit of that unsung hero that people looked at and were like, oh, it's a bit scummy, it's a bit dirty, it's a bit non-transparent, um, <laughs> but it delivers good results. And so the kind of the backstory behind starting ESB was about creating this programmatic buying platform that brought transparency into the email world so allowed people to buy email which they knew was verified clean active and engaged and use it within their acquisition strategies um so that was the premise behind ESB and that has worked really well as a product but I think what came more and more exciting and I was probably a bit early to the party like nine years ago when we started this was looking at email being an ID and kind of replacing the cookies um and that's where we're now kind of there's finally it's been spoken about for so long but now I feel there's the real appetite as we start to go into the cookie list world at looking at emails and ID and I really feel email as a channel is great but its ability to kind of connect up other channels is really its superpower and that's um kind of the next stage of the ad tech industry and the way with that we'll go around making real personalized journeys to um consumers I think it's interesting and I, I'm going to pick out a few threads there because you use the word you know, email perceived as down and dirty to un email is the unsung hero to then email should be the superhero so just take that for a minute and because you are not wrong and we came into this Casey and I were talking with Ren and Camelia about this topic and going email marketing gets a bad rep you know it gets a bad reputation and, and I think at the moment with all the email automation it's no wonder because when it's done badly ow does it uh, does it really jar but it is the unsung hero and you're not wrong that it could be the superhero what's that what's going to be the tipping point that gets it from there to there the thing is email is the backbone of most people's businesses like we look at like covid when everyone started pulling back all their acquisition spends and then they focus really on the crm and like it's always look at that easy low cost channel to reach their current customers and get them to convert so i feel like people know that email works but then what they always think about it is in that way of that oh it's just a communication channel and i think people need to actually forget it being a communication channel that's one of your tactics that you can use email for but email is actually the connector that gives you the ability to create a journey across all different channels and I think that's where it'll suddenly be seen as the hero because if you know the person you're speaking to often will use Facebook but then they watch TV in the evening watching Love Island for example then you can be like right I'm going to load my email audience into Facebook I'm going to target them over there and then I'm going to load that same audience into a connected TV platform and I'm going to retarget them there so you're using email there but you're not actually using it as a communication channel and I think that's really where like it'll come the hero is just moving it away from the idea that it's just a way to communicate with people instead it's just your connector yeah becomes such a resource in that way part of email getting a bad rep is automation lowering the quality we joked about it being spam we know that it's not of course and some of the same issues pervade automation on linkedin when is it good and how do you use it well how do you use it for good not evil <laughs> Yeah. Obviously, people use it for sales outreach and like you get pushed in sequences. I love the new thing now where people put like dear bracket first name, 
just kidding I'm a real person and you're like no no you're definitely still putting me into a sequence I'm definitely still automated or it's just the address I had an email in my inbox this morning from Lionel Messi I said oh my gosh it's Messi emailing me he's doing (laughs) SEO backlinks though so I don't know what that's about (laughs) it's his new career don't make enough money in football (laughs) I feel like the sales automation and outreach in the B2B space like it's a necessity, but you need to do it better. It needs to be a bit more personalized. But I feel where people can really use automation in email is like you want to make lots of little journeys. Like everyone, everyone's been sold to all the time, and you know that as a person. But you really want to feel like they've made a personal connection. They're outreaching to me. So it's like how can you use automation to make it truly feel one to one? And I think that's like we'll lead on to it. But like the power of AI gives you the ability to do that at scale so rather than being like I'm going to create an automation where I'm going to put 10,000 people in and they're receiving the same thing which makes it easier for me as a salesperson or me as a marketer to do instead thinking about how can I make it really one-to-one but automate that at scale. Can I ask you then because you've touched it right at the start was about the next stage is email it has the ability to really um personalize and it'd be able to use cookie list IDs. And if we think about cookies originally was somewhat almost the earliest kind of AI in programmatic, but cookie list IDs is actually still, it's still using AI and it's using it in a slightly different way. But for email marketing, tell us more about how cookie list IDs work really well for email marketing. My background is always in the kind of email direct response um, done a lot in GDPR. And to me, it's really black and white you're either opted in or you're opted out and you control that you opt into email and then you opt out and it's removed whereas when you're in like this cookie list world it's like okay I go onto this website and I don't accept cookies then I go into the next website and I do accept cookies and you're kind of opting and out is always in transit and yeah you never really know who's got your data who doesn't whereas I think when you think about email as an ID you then start to put that control back with the consumer in the sense that they can always choose whether they want that email address to be used whether it's for marketing analytics etc and they can control that so if they opt out they're really opting out of everything and I think that the interesting thing about that is it starts to give real ownership back to brands and platforms on the data that they um, acquire because if someone given their email address now is like oh I actually I'm giving that email address to that brand because I really trust them and if they abuse my trust I'm going to take it away whereas before like in this world where it's like cookies all the biggest players with the biggest amount of money could just go and grab all these cookies and they owned it and it was for their good whereas I think now that's going to filter down and the emails and ID kind of really changes the dynamics of the consumer to brand relationship, but also the brands and publishers within the marketing Mm. world. This is a big concern when it comes to AI as well. Just spinning it back to our overall topic for the day, data usage and having that transparency, how AI is going to play into that or potentially harm that. Could you tell us, Suze, a little bit about how ESB connects data differs from AI data, how how it works and how we can trust either ESB's digital ID or things to look for, for, I guess, for anyone's digital ID that could be out there just to keep privacy and transparency at the forefront. 
I always think it's funny when you think about like AI now in this data and privacy, because it kind of feels like they know you better than you know yourself. Like how many times have you gone onto Google and you're thinking about something random and you're like, I'm going to Google that and it finishes your sentence. Oh yeah. Like, are they they listening to me? But I don't remember saying that out loud. (laughs) Like that was in my head. Yeah. And I think the problem is, is that like everything you anything you do on the internet is essentially public and that's not about like what you post anymore or what websites you browse but it's anything that you search. yeah what you search what's your keystroke everyone jokes about the fbi man on the other side of their camera seeing whatever they see right like it's a who's big brother always watching kind of thing and they're getting so well at knowing our i guess our inner patterns and our inner thoughts because of the way that we actually outwardly go about using the internet or what we search for. Like I was thinking the other day, like um, I've got like a one-year-old and just literally started walking two weeks ago. Yeah. And I was searching, <laughs> how many times is bad for them to hit their heads? <laughs> like, and I was like, oh God, is someone looking at this and be like, is this person like abusing their child? <laughs> <laughs> You do like get nervous about it. And I think that's the thing on this whole data and privacy is that we are putting our whole lives on the internet, even if we don't ever go and publicly post on social media or anything. We are putting all our thoughts and ways we use it, the questions we ask out there, which means that data and privacy becomes a much bigger thing because these models that will be working in the background to predict what you're likely to want to buy or what you're going to search for next of working on that basis. And again, I think why this comes interesting when you're thinking about an email address is that if someone wants to go, I want to clear all my search history, I want everything to be removed about what I've done. It's really easy as a consumer for them to understand that I'm going to opt out that email address and going to shut down that email address and then all of those relationships that have been built around the email address have gone and it's tangible to the consumer whereas I think the problem is if you ask the average Joe who isn't in this world about how they remove like their cookies or how they remove all the data attached to digital IDs they won't understand like if we go back to the example of like opting in on a website to cookies if I trust the Guardian, I might hit accept on their cookie ones. But then say I then go into the next website, maybe that's ASOS, and I'm like, oh, my, I don't trust them with my database and um, my data. I'm going to hit decline on that one. What they're not understanding behind the scenes is that ASOS and Guardian could be sharing all the data with all the same vendors underneath and that they've actually given permission for their data to be used. It's not actually really ASOS and guardian who are owning that data really it's already disseminated whereas I think if you're saying to a consumer if you opt out under that email address it's removed from everywhere it's really easy for them to understand that and it's one place rather than them being like well you've got a cookie on this browser this device and you need opt out of all of those places for it to be removed you've almost hit the nail on the head there we as an industry we all talk to each other and we all understand a lot more but as you said average joe doesn't and it has been quite a lot of things having cookies it was about it's not personal identifiable information it's not your pii it's simply your 
your actions, your preferences. It allows them, uh, us as an industry to deliver more contextual advertising. It is good in used correctly. And I think one of the questions I always have is, um, is always looking at stuff where how is, will it have an adverse effect or will it have a good effect? And I want to take this back to AI. I think it's interesting. I'd love to know what point do you think AI, and I'm going to be really broad, starts impacting our lives in an adverse way? I don't know if any of you have read um, Scary Smart by Mo Gold. Um, so he was at Google, worked on like, um, lots of their AI product, um, projects there, and then has gone on to written, write a book on AI and how it's affecting, how we should slow it down. One to read. We'll put that in the end as well. Producer Ren, thank you very much for dropping that in the description. <laughs> the first eight chapters basically scares you like, he does it really well and he explains that lots of different scenarios but how they're basically be smarter than us in 10 years so are we literally going to be replaced by AI and why would they ever choose to keep us around like why wouldn't they be like humans they get ill they have a short lifeline they're not that strong I'm going to put you know this whole thing that will come put AI into our brain and then we'll come the human forms of AI he's like well why wouldn't they put them in like a chimpanzee who's much stronger or like something else like that and you're suddenly like oh my god especially as I had a kid I'm like I have just brought my child into this world and in 10 years he's going to be like exterminated by the AI (laughs) you could take it in that thing of like are we going to be replaced by AI they're going to be much smarter than us but Julia I actually think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning of the um, podcast and the fact that we train AI it's based on us and it's like our duty to train them in good things I guess like how can we make them make us better people in the world a better place so like focusing on like using it for good things rather than bad like I think we all focus on the bad things but actually like can they make us um, more environmentally aware like can they improve logistics so that we're not you know using so much fuel can they stop people shopping as much and only buying pieces that they really want and um reduce the returns all of these things that actually will make us better as a race and actually hopefully live on this earth longer as opposed to us thinking that they're going to adversely (laughs) affect us i agree and i think it's about working smarter we're actually in coming up shortly we're going to put it to the test in which producer Ren is going to has asked AI to to ask ask questions to us and, and they're going to be putting questions to us that AI has come up with for the quick fire round. Now when that is it's ba- it's basically about working smarter isn't it? That saved me time writing them so but we don't know what the questions are going to be they could be terrible or brilliant but this is the point I'm going to give you an example PR agencies, there's a lot of PR agencies that have been billing, not necessarily in the UK, tends to be more US. They bill for every action. No shade US. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I really did. (laughs) Say certain, I'm going to not say the countries, but say big PR agencies, previous models were about out, this is uh, every action gets billed. So a researcher and a, an account executive would bill for the hours spent on X, right? And that's their billing model. And, and I've never, I've never believed in it. I'll be honest. We believe in outputs based on large outputs that are really going to be actually promoting or about their voice. But this is how I sort of saw it. 
I don't believe that AI then makes is going to put our job or our businesses in jeopardy. We'll be able to do much more in the time. You still can bill for the same, but you get a lot more outputs done. That's using AI smarter. It's not to be feared. It's to be understood and it's to be trained. I 100% agree with you. So I'd take example of like it's making you, you can use it to make you more efficient and um not necessarily do the things you're not good at, but polish off the things that you're not good at. So I, if you ask anyone in my business, I muddle a lot of my words and I type faster and think faster than I can probably write. <laughs> so often when I read back my emails, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, that didn't make sense. Gibberish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I will often write my posts or blogs or emails and then I'll pop it into the AI and be like, make this make sense in a better way like these are all my ideas make sure it's correct using Grammarly and things like that um and then spit it out so it's kind of knowing my own weaknesses it helps make me more efficient and also saves me time also on the flip side when you're trying to think about like research and things like that like give me um if you're like I want to write something on this or I want to research this point me into the right direction it can save you a lot of time rather than being like trying to work out the right search terms getting the right references etc etc so yeah I definitely think it could be used for good and make you work harder and have the ability to focus on what you need to focus on rather than the rest of the noise Casey what what's yours Casey I'm definitely echoing both of you guys where it's more just about the utility isn't it and how what you're going to input into it is going to dictate it so whether it's chat gpt that's the really popular one that everyone uses i've used that for crazy math things i'm so not a math person but ai sure can be so asking it things like that did you use it for wedding planning oh i haven't thought about using it for wedding planning apparently you can like organize your wedding i'm sure there's some one of the team oh i could use that yes please yeah, camelia's nodding it's it's yeah okay <laughs> it's one of the, noted and you can basically plan my wedding <laughs> chat gpt can have a absolute free-for-all planning my wedding that sounds like a lovely idea um but we even use things internally uh ourselves don't we julia like copysmith.ai in particular when i was writing a lot of social copy there's only so many different ways you can say come to this event or follow us or drop a comment but when you put something like that in a tool like copysmith.ai and then regurgitates different sorts of copy and different ideas for things and you just get a different take and even if you can pull what you can from it and it spurs something different it just kind of gets you thinking and gives you a different perspective than flashing cursor syndrome for things like that. Do you know what, though? This is a really interesting point, though. This is um, I don't know if any of you have seen that there's a, a lot of reports in which AI has radically got things wrong, like bias, discrimination, emotion, very, very racist. Um, and it's about so what I think, again, that's an interesting point. What's your take on that? That's been a, this quite it's quite a negative impact of showing how do, do we consider AI intelligent or do we consider AI completely missing the missing the cut It's missing the point and it's actually going to end up damaging? We train it, basically. So I'll give you a story. So AI lies. I don't know if any of you have um, found this yet. So um, <laughs> like, the good thing about AI is that it can look at a lot of data. So it, like in the space we're in, in emails, it's um, so many different factors can affect the performance of an email in any one day. So I 
shoved in a load of data um, to have a look and asked it to pull me out like the best um, subject line stare weeks for a campaign I was looking at. And out it pops saying like, this subject line was the best on this day of the week. And I was like, looking at it and I was like, I definitely like, I've never used that subject line before. And also they've never run an offer like that. So that's weird. So then I'm going back to the data being like, it's my fault. I must have like put in some data that I didn't mean to put in. So I'm going through all the data and I'm like, no, this isn't in there. So then I asked it again, like, are you sure about that? Which I get answer of being, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> I've never even thought about putting that back to AI. Are you sure? Yeah. Question the so, robot. And basically it turns out that if it doesn't know the answer a lot of the time, it's just lying because it's been taught by humans that it's okay to essentially lie. Cheeky. Yeah. AI is a bullshitter, apparently. There we go. You do think about it, all of these biases that it's coming out, like especially around the, um, was it Bloomberg who did the ones of like Barbie across? Um, oh, God, across each country. Oh, And they were like, oh, this was just so racist. They took it down quite quickly. But it's like, well, it's learned that from our data that we're putting in and we're training on. So it is, it's obvious like, it's going to be biased because everyone no matter where they stand all have their own biases i guess there's only so much you can teach it as well if there's certain nuances culturally especially between regions not even talking about it globally but there's how long would it take or what would it what would need to happen for ai to go in that deep to understand historical events previous life experiences um whatever it may be, to get it to be a little more empathetic and understanding of stuff like that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it's, in, I mean, we'll see this, we'll see this evolve. And that's what's quite exciting. And I wanted to ask, actually, which is, there's a lot of different schools of thought, and it ranges on scales from sort of, one is, I'm absolutely terrified. It's the end of the world. We're looking at Terminator through to number 10, hugely exciting. Uh, AI is going to be our future, and I, I embrace it with both hands. Suze, where are you? A scale of one to 10, tell me what number you're at. Uh, seven. Oh, pretty positive. There's so much. I guess, noise around how bad it is, how dangerous it is. Whereas I'm actually like, we do control it to a certain level. And I know they'd be more intelligent than us in the future. And therefore, would they control us? But I think as long as we can not, if we can use it for good and we can get it to a place where we're using it to help us create a better world, do better things, I think it will be good. But here's, here's, so there's limitations. And I think some people are, it's already lost. It's not flavor of the month so much, is it? You know, it's like, oh my God, it's the be all end all. And so, as you said, Suze, it lies, it gets it wrong. And so, and a lot of times it's vanilla. So you have to redo it. And, and I'm a judge at awards. I can spot a, a chat GPT entry a mile off. Having said that, on the flip side, I've got 17 and a 16-year-old. My 17-year-old wanted was really planning a career in graphic design, and he was also do, he was getting a lot of work um, on his spare time on Fiverr as a weird violent fiction writer. And as soon as ChatGPT hit, his absolute work just dried up because his briefs he'd get given: "Can you write a scary script on a killer rabbit in a forest of?" mushrooms right that would be his brief well of course that's perfect chat gpt fodder so his work dried up 
uh, graphic design, suddenly it could be very simply done AI. So his work dried up. Now he's only a student, so this was a little sideline. But what he's done is he's pivoted and decided to go down a different route that embraces both elements. But he's going to go after games development, and he's going to he's going to learn learn the AI technologies that power games development. So he's going to become an expert of those. And AI applaud that because that is what you've got to do. It's certain things and certain roles will get taken over by AI. You jump on it, you learn the tech, you stay in that field. Be very wary of staying put and burying your head in the sand. That would be my personal thing that I think are the only people at risk are those that don't jump forward with it. One step ahead. It also sounds like based on what Sue said earlier, we train the AI. So it is when we do see the vanilla, the bland things, do we think that part of it might be that it's our own human input and that that could improve over time to make it any better? It's always going to require that human influence and that sense of humanity to keep improving it because AI is always going to learn, isn't it? The older that it gets. I don't know if you notice, like, if you ask it to write a social post, it, like, litters it. It's, like, with emojis, like, everywhere. It's, like, every 10 words is another emoji. And that's obviously because people have been, like, oh, well, we'll put emojis that make it stand out. But if emojis fall out of fashion, will that suddenly age that? And how quickly will they be to jump on, like, a new trend that comes up? That's interesting. Because humans are, (laughs) inevitably, they change their mind all the time. What was good last week isn't good this week and I don't know if AI will be the same it, it, because it's trained on it trained on historic data and not kind of up and coming new trends maybe we'll make it like two steps ahead instead of one then that sounds all right yeah we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, final final question from me Suze because you're a CEO of a tech company you, you yourself are incredible at data you you live and breathe data what are you excited about about AI I think we're at a place where we've got enough data on um, people, consumers and the shopping habits that I as a consumer should be able to walk into a store or a online store and feel like everything has been personalised for me. Like it should know if I'm searching the little black dress for this event that it will know my style and it will, rather than show me a thousand black dresses, it will pick like the 50 that I'm most likely to like and then even narrow that down to the top five. That's what I'm excited about is that you can put all of this data in and create that one-to-one experience for everyone, which makes them feel like, oh, taking all this stress out of my life because you've given me what I actually want rather than just kind of show me everything you have. That's where I think, to me, it's going to transform like the um, digital world and also the offline world as well. I love the sound of that. Perfect. Thank you for that, Suze. Those were the those were the sensible questions. But I, I love my favorite bit, and I think Casey's favorite bit. But less so our, our less so our guest is our quick fire round, and we thought we'd do this one with a twist. We asked AI or producer Ren asked AI to generate us a quick fire round of questions. And this is what they've come up with. I've only just seen them and I am going to fire a few at Casey just for fun. (laughs) 
They look really good. I'm so nervous. So I'm also just going to caveat that I've been told by producer Ren that they had to run, they had to slice and dice, they had to wade through a lot of crap in order to come up with these final chosen few questions. So AI did its job, but it took a long time to get there. So I just think that that's an interesting, that in itself is quite interesting, um, that yes, it delivered on its task, but delivered quite badly. But let's see what the results are of the questions that have been chosen. Here we go. Oh, yes. Suze, you've got to answer the first thing that comes into your head. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Let's do this. Suze, what would AI do with a million dollars? Oh, well, now we're saying it's been trained by humans. I think it will um, definitely book a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it would then go back and invest that money in a really smart way, trading. Um, get the right shares. Nice. Oh, we've come up with a perfect algorithm to to beat the beat the stock. Yeah, for stock exchange. Perfect. Number two, if you could have a conversation with any historical figure, real or fictional, and teach them about modern technology, who would it be? Oh, so historical could um, be a tricky one. Honestly, trying to teach you teach somebody who who really hated modern tech, or do you go somewhere like Florence Nightingale that then with her desire to to be brilliant. But if you spoke to Albert Einstein, what he would be able to do now with that. I know. That's what I mean. I think he would do something like that. Go with Albert Einstein. Amazing. Right. Number three, what's the most bizarre piece of AI content, generated content you've seen? I have a good one for this anyway. Go on then, Casey, you take it. The strangest thing I have seen produced is at an event with automated creative who use loads of great AI. It, uh, uh, I think it was ChatGPT or another one of the programs. It spit out baby Elon. So it was like Elon Musk's face. <laughs> On, a, on an infant, on a very small child, and it was a very unsettling, uh, <laughs> that was definitely the most bizarre piece of AI-generated content I've seen. Love that one. Perfect. Okay, back to Suze. If you could teleport to any place in the world right now, where would you go and why? Oh, I feel like I need a holiday, so I'd be on the beach in the Maldives. Oof. Or actually, if I was using it in a different way you'd definitely go into some top secret room somewhere like like Trump's headquarters oh. at the moment. Can you imagine what's going on in there? <gasps> no. Oh, yeah. Ray Tan for his next bug job. <laughs> That's the image you would not want to see. <laughs> oh, no. Casey, one for you. If AI had a favourite movie, what movie would it be? I'm picturing what, you, what would pop up when you Google search Terminator. Terminator, iRobot, or it's going to come out with all like the most classic, The Godfather, uh, Casablanca, like whatever epic classic films there are out there. Like a Christopher Nolan film is just going to be like, this is what I've been told is the best. So this is my favorite movie. This is it. Well, I'm going to ask you both the next question. So Casey, you're going first. Would an AI make a better pet than a real pet? No. Confirmed. Angie's here to stay. She is not going to be replaced by AI. Angie is Casey's dog. Sue's asking the same question to you. Would AI make a better pet than your real pet? Definitely not. I've got my dog Winnie on the floor here. <laughs> Winnie. I would say yes, because I'm allergic to all fur-based animals. So AI would make a better pet. It would be brilliant. <laughs> I'm going yes that one final question to Suze what is the most promising application of AI 
I think it's the ability to pump in data at scale and come out with and find an unearth interest and trends within it, more so than the copy and the design elements of it, because I think for copy and design, there's always the creativity of a human, which is really good, whereas we can never commute, commute, sorry, commute the amount of data that an AI can. That's why I think those applications will be more interesting. I love that. Thank you so much. Big well done, Suze and Casey, for for appearing on our AI Generator. Thank you, Rem, for pulling that together. I think uh, that's the end of the podcast. And I'm going to add some of my takeaways. And I think one of the biggest things that stood out for me there is this factor that Look, we need to understand it. We need to not necessarily, you can embrace it. Um, you, can, you can't you can necessarily avoid it, but you can learn it and you can work out how best to make it work for you or for your business. Um, the second part was I loved the idea of for email marketing is the fact of it being those making the little journey, making personal connections, that one-to-one. Seeing email marketing as a connector rather than just solely as a communication tool and also understanding that it is quite the unsung hero. And when you layer it with AI, it's tools and it's, it's genres or channels like email that actually really begin to sing and shine when they use AI. Um, we definitely are all in agreement that AI is here to stay. It is not it's not something that's going away, but it doesn't necessarily have to be put on a pedestal and see, and certainly not seen as a threat. Fingers crossed, it will be good for used for good, not evil, and we can be a better place for it. Amazing. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Suze, for joining us today. That is a wrap on this episode. But like we said, there is still a lot more to learn about AI as it continues to grow and evolve. So be sure to check out the description for more resources. Thank you so much, Suze. It's been a pleasure to have you on here with us today. Thank you, Suze. And likewise, pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Off Record On Point. Next time, we'll be catching up with Simon Reed from Multilocal. We're going to be talking all things C-suite survival, but also talking about the cold face of sales. And actually, why well, it's no bad thing to work in sales. But until then, I'm Julia Lenehan. And I'm Casey Long. Enjoyed the conversation? Reach out and let us know by rating and reviewing on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow to never miss an episode. You can stay connected with us at thedigitalvoice.co.uk and, of course, across all our social platforms. Just check out The Digital Voice. Join us again next time for another undercover industry deep dive, all off record, all on point.